Join us and 1,200 plus other investors at the premier event for commercial real estate pros at the 2024 Best Ever Conference in Salt Lake City, Utah. Get exclusive economic insights from top industry economists, learn actionable strategies to scale your business, expand your network, and discover new investment opportunities. Use our exclusive promo code SPBEC24 to save 10% on your ticket. Visit www.besteverconference.com to learn more. Welcome to the How Did They Do It Real Estate Podcast. Have you ever wondered how people succeed in real estate and what steps they took to get there? If so, this podcast is for you. Your hosts, Sayla and Eileen Prack, interview top experts in the real estate community to share with you their real estate journey and how they achieved massive success. Our goal is to provide you with valuable real estate resources and to help you apply it to your own real estate goals. Welcome to today's episode of the How Did They Do It Real Estate podcast. I'm your host, Eileen Prack, and today our guest is Jeff Greenberg. And Jeff is the CEO and managing member of Synergetic Investment Group. And for over 12 years, he's managed all aspects of commercial real estate ownership, including acquisitions, investor relations, operations, value-add implementation, and dispositions. He's been involved in projects worth nearly $150 million, consisting of over 2,000 units. And he's been involved with stabilized and value-add properties, including student housing, as well as short-term rentals and market rate properties. So Jeff, welcome to the show. How are you doing today? I'm doing fantastic, and thank you for having me. So, Jeff, can you share a little bit about your background and how you got started with real estate? Well, I got started in the single-family realm back in about 2005, 2006, and it was a bad time to be getting into single-family homes. Prices were dropping in Southern California. It was hard to get involved. We were looking at REOs, bank-owned properties, but the banks were getting so overwhelmed with properties that they didn't know what to do with them. And so they would take forever to decide whether or not your offer was good. And in about 2007, I hooked up with some people that started talking to me about commercial real estate. And so I got involved with them, bought my first 20 unit property in South Texas, and then just started going up from there. But it was a whole different thing once I learned the commercial real estate. It just really excited me and uh, gave me the ability to scale up from there. So take us to where you are today, Jeff, and what is your focus? Well, okay. So between that first purchase and 12 years later, I started to realize that I didn't really want to be the main GP, the place where the buck stops, the main responsibility. I had wanted to move out of that position for a while. But my last acquisition, which was a 225-unit property in Texas, I had brought on a person that was going to be my asset manager. And I realized that she was so much better at than I was. And I enjoyed that part of it, just working with her and having her come back and bring the team reports and decided I really didn't want to be involved in that end of it and started moving towards raising equity, which I was the main equity raiser in all of my deals anyway. Some of my team had brought in some money, but most of it was from me. And I enjoyed that part. So I said, okay, I'm going to head that direction, and I just need to find good quality people like her to work with. And so now she's done her own deals. I've 
raised money for two of her deals in uh, Texas, actually in, in Houston. And that I enjoy so much. And I just need to go and continue pushing that, raising money for others. Now, I do have two funds that I'm very excited about. And so I raise through my different funds and we do different asset types, different asset classes, and we're looking to expand that. So that's kind of where I am right now, always looking for good quality deal sponsors and looking for investors that want to join us on this path. So you've been in the business for quite some time, Jeff. And so I'd love to get some of your insight about the difference of the environment of where you started out with in the beginning with raising capital and raising private equity versus where we are today in today's market. And how does that environment change? What does the sentiment look like in today's market now? Well, when I started out, it was a similar environment. And I just didn't realize at the time that it was a buyer's market. There was great opportunities, but we had higher expectations, I guess. If I would have bought a lot more at that period of time in like 2009, 2010, that was where wealth was being built. We're back there now where there are opportunities. There are going to be opportunities that I'm very excited about. There is concern, of course, as far as a recession and a concern about inflation and high interest rates. But I think we're at a turning point right now that very soon there's going to be great opportunities coming our way. And people that can go and dig the ones out now that are available are going to be able to get some great opportunities. And down the road, 6, 12 months, I believe there's going to be a lot more in the way of great opportunities. But the main thing I look for right now is how are the investments being protected? I want to be protected on the downside. I want my investors to be protected on the downside because there are a lot of deals that have gotten in trouble. I'm sure we've all heard about different deals that have gotten in trouble and they've gotten in trouble for various reasons. Most of them not realizing how quickly the interest rates were going to be going up and they got caught short. And that's caused people a lot of issues. So I'm always looking for protection of the downside. And then I'll look at how much we can make on this deal and what's our risk reward balance. But definitely we want to look at protection of the downside. When you're evaluating what kind of protection for the downside is included or incorporated as part of the deals that you're working with the different sponsors, what are the different aspects or metrics or what are the things that you're looking for for that added protection? Right now, I like fixed rate debt. I don't particularly like variable debt. So that's the big thing. I want to look at loan to value, what that percentage is. I want to look at what kind of reserves this sponsor has put out there. But back to the sponsor, the sponsor, has the sponsor gone through this before? How conservative are their underwriting? I want to know who the main operator is on a GP team. I want to know who's the asset manager on the GP team. Their attention to detail, you know, that a good operator can squeeze the best out of a property where a weak operator may just let things get sloppy and not run things as efficiently. And it also depends a lot on the property management team. And so it's up to the operator and the asset management to make sure that the property management team is doing what they need to do 
because if you don't keep on them and keep and work alongside of them, they may let things slide and put more energy into a different property. So keeping in touch with property management. So I want to see how well the operator works with management and as well as past performance, what they've done in the past. Now, we just have to be real careful when we look in at past performance because we've been in such a hot market for at least 10 years that anybody could have made great deals because of market conditions. And like you mentioned earlier, we've heard a lot about different properties not performing, different sponsors kind of their companies kind of ran into some different issues, balloon payments for the interest rates and all that stuff kind of impacting people's deals. Is it more challenging now to find those sponsors that meet those criteria for you and to find good quality sponsors to partner up with? Absolutely. I mean, the good sponsors are going to be out there. You know how they say when the tide goes out, you can see who's swimming naked. So your good sponsors show up, the ones that are still doing well, that have had conservative underwriting. The ones that were much more in the way of risk takers, those are the ones that are going to get into trouble. Now, that's not to say that even some of the good ones didn't make the mistake of misjudging what's going on in the market. I mean, I know one person that it was a variable rate fixed for three, and they had a rate cap for three years, and they were escrowing for year four and five because it was a 3-1-1 where they could get the additional two years. And originally, they were escrowing 9000 a month for that future rate cap. And then it jumped to 54000 a month. And then it jumped to 74000 a month. Just the escrow for a future rate cap. Well, even someone that's done a lot of planning, that's a pretty tough pill to swallow. So fortunately, in that situation, they did have the cash flow to cover it. But of course, distributions kind of had to cease. But it's been a very trying time right now. And people that were cutting it close and really pushing their numbers, those are the ones that could be in trouble. The ones that were more conservative and made sure they had a lot more runway, they may be working on a much tighter budget but they're still alive and still working. So right now you mentioned that you have two funds that you're working on. Why go to a fund model? And can you share a little bit about the shift from going to individual properties to expanding and opening up and starting up a fund? Well, the reason I have a fund is this way investors can diversify. Now, my fund is a customizable fund, which means that investors don't have to be in every single deal within the fund. Typically, when you're in a fund, you're in every deal that the fund manager brings in. And in some cases, it may be all the same sponsor because it may be their own fund. Many operators will create their own fund, and then you're in every one of their deals. There's other funds that may be working with multiple different sponsors, maybe multiple different locations, but typically it's a narrow focus as far as what they're investing in. They're investing in multifamily and the certain region, certain class. My fund is different in that it's diversified in not only classes of multifamily, but 
as you read in the intro, I can bring in short-term rental. I can bring in development. I can bring in self-storage, mobile home parks, RV parks. And if those don't fit with a particular investor, they don't have to be in that. They have a choice. And so by doing it this way, I could bring all these different opportunities to my investors where they can rely on me to bring these different deals to them. And they have one place to go, one portal to look in, and they can diversify themselves, not only in asset types, but also in risk reward profiles, as well as cash flow versus capital appreciation profiles. As we know, multifamily, for the most part, especially now, may be a little bit slow on cash flow, especially with the value adds that you may not get a lot of cash flow going, but your capital appreciation is great at the end. Now, there's other opportunities like short-term rentals that may not have the great capital appreciation at the end, but they've got a much higher cash flow. So getting into different opportunities that have different reward profiles allows people to diversify and they could pick and choose which ones they want to be in and diversify themselves. So when I found out about this opportunity to do it this way, I was very excited because that way I don't have to be narrowly focused on just multifamily or self-storage or mobile home parks. I could bring all of those into my fund and individuals can decide for themselves if they want to be in that deal. We love hosting this show. When we started this podcast, we were doing all the editing and post-production ourselves. Now, we are very excited to have this particular company as a partner of the show to do all the post-production for us because it gives us the freedom to focus on the two things we care about, serving you, our listener, at a higher level and growing our own multifamily business. If you are like Sayla and me, then you want to add value to others while scaling your business. A podcast is the best way to do both, and we invite you to contact Adam Adams. He can help you launch your podcast, market your show for more listeners, and take all the post-production off your plate so you can focus on your business instead of in it. Listeners of this show can get a free consultation with Adam. To schedule your free consultation, find the link in the show notes. So how does it work if, let's say, an investor had initially put in, let's just say, $100,000 into the fund, and then additional properties are coming in and being added after the initial investment? How does that work in terms of wanting to diversify? Do you need to add more investment or need to invest more capital into there to be able to diversify into these different opportunities as they come around? Or are you diversifying with the existing investment that's already in the fund? Okay. If that 100,000 came in and they said, okay, I want to commit this 100,000 to that particular deal, one particular deal, that's already committed. Now, maybe they invested 50 of that in a particular deal and they just had the other 50 sit there. And if that 50 is available, then that can go into the next deal. Otherwise, they would have to bring in additional capital into it. They make the decisions where their funds are allocated out. Got it. Okay. So you can have allocated capital within the fund and capital that's sitting, waiting on the sidelines for new opportunities that come around and you can choose which ones you want to participate in. Yes. And also with the distributions, 
90% of the, probably higher than 90% of the investors, when the distributions come in, they let the distribution sit into their account. So now their money is sitting in the account when it accumulates to a size that it's investable, then they could go and allocate it to other deals coming in. This gives us the flexibility of bringing in small deals. Typically, we're raising a couple million dollars to invest in a deal. Well, if somebody needed a hard money loan for $100,000 and I had 10 people that had $10,000 in their accounts, we could go and invest in that hard money loan and people invest their 10,000 each or five or 20 people with 5,000, whatever. They could allocate those small chunks of money into smaller deals. So Jeff, because your fund is so diversified, you're dealing with a lot of different multiple types of asset classes. Is there one or two that in particular in today's market that you're focusing more on now that maybe have changed in the past? Well, I mean, my base is always going to be multifamily, but I do want to be diversified out. I do like self-storage. I like mobile home parks. I'm in the middle right now of looking at someone that's very active in the assisted living. I think assisted living is something of the future that's mostly a cash flow play, but I can't narrow it down to any one of those, but there's quite a few others. I'm also talking to some development. There's a gentleman I'm talking to that is doing distressed mobile home parks, and that's his thing is with uh, short-term turnovers of distressed mobile home parks. So I'm looking at a lot of different ones that I think are very, very hot at this point. There's a lot of opportunities out there. In terms of the development side of things, how do you evaluate whether or not the rewards that you're looking into outweighs the risks of getting into a development opportunity? Yeah, that one's a very challenging one because I have not done development. So it's finding a good quality operator and really spending time evaluating them and their product and what stage it's in. I was talking to uh, somebody yesterday that they have development where the land is right in the shovel-ready state, which takes a lot of the risks as far as getting all the permits and everything. They're all ready to go on it. And so that's limiting a lot of the risk on that one. Obviously, another risk is interest rates and cost of labor, cost of materials. There's other aspects of development. And until I'm comfortable getting into that with either this particular operator or others, I'm not getting into it. I'm very, very slow about taking on new operators that I want to work with, but I am looking at several different aspects of it. So what's your next focus here, Jeff? Well, like I said, I am evaluating a couple people. There's one I want to get into uh, short-term rentals. I've been talking to a gentleman. I'm just trying to evaluate his experience, and but I would like to get more into short-term rentals. I do feel that as long as the operator takes care on where they're buying the short-term rentals, I think that's a great way to go. There are a lot of communities that are regulating the short-term rentals. But as long as you understand the dynamics of that particular community, you could safely get into it. There's a lot of communities that want short-term rentals, mostly destination communities, maybe not in your particular neighborhood. I don't want a short-term rental next door to me. 
And most people would say that they wouldn't want that either. But if you're talking about going to a national park outside of a national park or some destination area, those areas typically don't have a lot of hotels. Hotels are a lot of times the people that are fighting against the short-term rentals. So it just depends. It depends a lot on how you pick and choose where you're going to put it. So I do like that as well as the assisted living. I really would like to get in with a good operator on assisted living. And so Jeff, how's real estate investing impacted your life? My time. I love it. I have time to do what I want to do. It's on my schedule. I work the hours I want to work. I get to spend time with my kids and my grandkids. And I just got back a few minutes ago from a 30-mile bike ride. And I've got a few meetings and I'm going to take my dogs out. And I've got my time freedom. I have no pressure as far as bringing new opportunities in. Of course, I have my investors that are ready and waiting to jump into deals. But I get to work at my pace. I am living the best life, enjoying myself and enjoying this business. So it's the time freedom is the thing, as well as being able to help out my kids when we're doing things, when someone thinks, oh, that's too expensive to go up to go up skiing or something, you know, here, okay, throw a few dollars around so we could all do it and not worry about how much it's going to cost. So that is a good feeling. And what is the one thing that you know now about real estate that you wish you knew when you first started? I knew nothing. (laughs) (laughs) When I first started, the only thing I knew about real estate was you go and you buy a single family home and you rent it out. Isn't that how real estate's run? I had no clue on who owned all these apartment buildings and who owned these offices and who owned all these things. I didn't realize how many different paths you can take within real estate and be successful. So yeah, somebody coming in needs to look at all different aspects and all different roles that you can play and find out what calls you. It took me 12 years to realize that I didn't want to be the operator, that I prefer working with people. If you would have told me that 12 years ago, I would have told you you're nuts talking to people on the phone, calling people, helping people through things. I didn't realize that until later that I call my investors my friends. I enjoy working with them. And if I have to spend an hour with them, helping them get through some details or something, that's fine. I'm fine with that. I would much rather do that and then go to the meetings and listen to somebody else talk about budget variances and repairs that we had to do. Let somebody else deal with those aspects of it. And what is the one thing that sets the successful people apart in real estate investing? Determination, not giving up, pushing beyond your comfort zone. I'm always telling my grandkids, you don't grow inside of your comfort zone. I dropped my teenage granddaughter over somebody's house yesterday. She's calling her friend on the phone. She wanted her friend to come out of the door. She says, I don't want to go to the door and knock on the door. That's embarrassing. I said, get, you don't grow in your comfort zone. Get up there, knock on the door. It's your friend's house. Go. It's just being shy doesn't get you anywhere. And I can tell you that from experience, I have been an introvert all my life. And if you don't kick yourself in the butt and say, walk up and talk to people that you don't know, don't meet people, 
I mean, real estate has been great for me. I mean, even my friends that I've known for years and years know what real estate has done for me as far as gotten me out of my shell. I mean, I've been on stage in front of thousands of people. And initially, I was scared to death to stand in front of 20 people at a meetup. So it's helped me get out of my shell. And people look at me and says, you're not an introvert. Yeah, well, I hide it. So real estate's been good for that. Jeff, where can our listeners find out more about you and what you're doing in this space? You can get a hold of me on my website at uh, synergeticig.com. And you can also reach out to me. I have a little giveaway for your audience. Questions to ask, deal sponsor if you're coming in as a passive investor, or if you want to be an active investor, things that you should know about your operations that investors may ask you. So it's a good book for either way. And you could get that at sigcre.com slash sponsor. And I'd be glad to give that away. And then also Jeff at synergeticig.com. And you could see the spelling on the wall behind me. So Awesome. Jeff, thank you so much for your time today. I really appreciate all of your time and sharing what you do. Thank you very much. This is always fun. And thank you for listening to our podcast today, brought to you by Bonavest Capital. We would really appreciate it if you can go to iTunes right now and leave a rating and written review. Also, please don't forget to subscribe so you can always get the latest episodes. You can also connect with us on Facebook, How Did They Do It Real Estate? We'd love to hear your feedback and any topics that you're interested in for future episodes. If you're anything like Zayla and me and believe that real estate investing is a great way to create passive income and build long-term wealth, check out our free apartment syndication due diligence checklist for passive investors at bonavestcapital.com forward slash checklist. Zayla and I created this checklist for ourselves as we evaluated different multifamily syndication opportunities as a passive investor. So we would love to share it with you so you can use it as a resource as well. Download your free copy today at bonavestcapital.com forward slash checklist. Lastly, to learn more about us, you can go to bonifestcapital.com and fill out the contact us page so you can speak to us directly. Nothing on the show should be considered as specific personal advice. Please consult your legal, tax, and real estate professionals for individualized advice.